Now, and then it says, now in verse 27, it says, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So between those two chapters, Paul's in prison for two years. And he is succeeded by this guy named Festus. And actually what happened here was, just a little side note, if you're interested in history, you'll find this interesting. If not, just bear with me. But Felix was in power. What happened was the, there was a riot in town between the Jews and some other people. And the Romans hated riots. And so uh, Felix jumped in and slaughtered a bunch of people, a whole bunch of people. A bunch of them were Jews. And so the Jews came, and, and the main, a bunch of Jews came and brought a case against Felix to the Roman officials. And however, the, the Sanhedrin, which was a kind of a high, higher up class of the Jews, the Sanhedrin did not support this case against Felix. And so when it says here that Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison, it's very possible that he was trying to do what the Sanhedrin wanted, which, which was to keep Paul in prison. So that's what's going on here. However, in the end, he is convicted. He is ousted out of his position. And so Felix is out, and Festus here comes in. So, you know, when you read the, when you read the Bible behind... You know, some of these short little verses, you have to remember there's a whole bunch of history often that takes place that, that you really, we don't find here. You, you could find that in, in the secular historians. And so what we have this morning then is uh, there's a new guy in power. His name is Festus. And we're going to take a look at that, chapters 25 and 26. So watch the Video Visual Bible this morning. <coughs> Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus, as a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem. For they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there, if he's done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers 
and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him. In Jerusalem, and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write for I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews and especially so, because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now, it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, 
Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now, get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. <laughs> I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long? I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. They left the room. And while talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, that's the story. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to take just a few moments and... Uh, just talk a little bit about that and then pull a lesson out of that this morning. So Felix is out. Festus is in. As you saw this morning, they are, Festus goes to Caesarea. The Jews want to get him back. They want to kill him along the way. And Paul appeals to Caesar, which means he will be on to Rome. King Agrippa and Bernice... I'll tell you a little bit more about this pair just a little bit later. But they come to town for a few days, and of course Festus is trying to figure out what to write up to send to Caesar in terms of what are exactly the charges that they are bringing here against Paul. Notice in verses 19 and 20. I'll just back up one. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. This is Festus now talking. Verse 19, instead they had some points of dispute with him about their religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed to be alive. I was at loss as to how to investigate such matters. And so, you know, they're having a hard time nailing down what the crime is and the reason is there is no crime. So they're trying to figure out what it is that the Jews are saying that Paul has really done wrong. 
So Paul ends up before Agrippa. Agrippa says, I'd like to talk to this man. And so the following day, he gathers all of these high-ranking officials. And as you saw, they allow their Paul to speak. Paul tells a story. He starts out by honoring the king. He starts out by saying, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you. He also adds, because you are acquainted with Jewish issues. Agrippa was one of the officials that was the expert in Roman controversy and conflicts and issues. And so he had a, a very good understanding of Jewish background, customs, Jewish scripture. In fact, Agrippa was, he was a curator of the temple, which was a leader in the temple. He could appoint the priests, and he was a treasurer of the temple. So this guy had his hands in a lot of things in Jewish life. He then talks about, Paul talks about his growing up, that he was in this strict group called Pharisees. He talks about that his, you know, that really what he's being tried for is, is for stating the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He, he identifies with them. He says, I was just like these Jews opposing Christianity. And then he talks about his conversion on the road and how God came and spoke to him and, in that amazing story. I'm not going to go through that. Uh, Paul just, he got done telling you his story in a very dramatic way. And uh, we know, though, when that happened, his life dramatically, dramatically changed. And one of the most powerful testimonies to the validity of Christianity is the dramatic transformation of the lives of the apostles and Paul. I mean, these men's lives were turned upside down, and all of them, except for John, all of them ended up being martyred for their faith. It won't be long. Paul will be brought to Rome, and Paul's life will be ended there. Verse 19, we find these words, <clears throat> and this is in the context of Paul talking to Agrippa. After he tells his story, he says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. So what Paul's saying is, what I'm doing, King Agrippa, is I'm, I'm carrying out the vision that God gave me on that day. And I have been faithful to that vision. Well, Festus jumps in here and says, Paul, you're crazy. You know, your teaching's driving you mad. And Paul says, no, what I'm saying is true. And it's also reasonable. And, uh, and then he appeals to Agrippa. And he get, Agrippa gets very direct with Agrippa. And you know, he says, Agrippa, do you, do you believe the prophets? And he doesn't even wait for him to answer. He says, I know you do. And this is a really, uh, this had to be a really powerful moment in time. When after Paul's appeal, you kind of picked up a little bit of that sense we don't know course, exactly what Agrippa's response was. And there's actually two interpretations of this. If you have the NIV, which we read from this morning, it says, do you really think you can persuade me in this brief encounter? The uh, King James Version says, a little different, it says, you almost convinced me in such a short time to become a Christian. We're not exactly sure what he was saying, but it's probably somewhere in between those two. We certainly know that it was a powerful moment. And Paul replies, you know, short or long, I just pray that everyone here would come to the knowledge of the gospel. And so they conclude, Agrippa speaks to Festus and say, you know what, this guy's not guilty. In fact, you know, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have set him free right now. And Paul doesn't say, oh, I made a mistake. I should never appeal to Caesar. No, Paul... He never second-guesses himself here. He's on. He's still in chains. He's going to Rome. And he knows that's, that is where God has called him. So what do we learn about this account? <clears throat> and I think there's a huge lesson here. We've been trying to pick out different lessons. We just have time. And I'm just going to take the next uh, 10, 12 minutes here and just talk about this lesson. But there is a, a big lesson here. And it's a lesson that the Jews 
have a very difficult time learning. It was a lesson that the early church and the early believers had a really hard time grasping. And God, through His Holy Spirit, had to, had to really work on that. It's a challenge for us as well. And uh, here it is. And the message is this. Is that the gospel, this good news, is for everyone. It is for everyone. Now, at first glance when I say that, you probably go, well, I know that. I believe that. Well, you probably do, and sometimes you probably don't. It's not for perfect people. The gospel, is, by the way, is for imperfect people. The gospel is not for really good people. The gospel is for people who aren't really good. It's not for very healthy people. It's for people who are sick. In fact, Jesus made it very clear time and time again. He said, I didn't come for righteous people. You know, he'd be criticized for going to people that were unhealthy or whatever or considered, quote, sinful. And the Pharisees, who obviously couldn't look at themselves, you know, were criticizing him. And Jesus said, that's why I came. I, I came for unrighteous, not for righteous. <clears throat> and so... You know, we, we, we see this, that, that God's call on Paul's life is to bring the gospel to everyone. And so, in, we looked last week in chapter 9. We looked at the very beginning of, of Paul's ministry. This is verse 15, Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, he's talking about Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. So what's Paul doing in chains here before Agrippa and Festus and Felix and Caesar? He's doing exactly what God said. You're going to proclaim my gospel to everyone. Not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, even their kings and their leaders. And so here he is. Why? Because the gospel is for everyone. Last week we learned about Festus and Drusilla. They're, they were not exactly the model couple, these two. And we saw that their lives, they were actually, at least if you were to go through a categorical list, pretty bad people. But here's Paul sharing the gospel with them. Uh, we see this morning Agrippa and Bernice. I mean, Agrippa has quite a family history. His great-grandfather was Herod the Great. He was the one that killed all the babies at the time of Jesus. A great guy. Then his grandfather was the one that beheaded John the Baptist. His father was the one that beheaded and killed the first apostle, James. And the one who people started to worship him. You remember earlier in Acts, he started to worship him and he refused to give glory to God and so God struck him down and he was, he died and was, was eaten by worms and that was his father, Agrippa's father. And so here's Agrippa. Agrippa, by the way, had two sisters. And one of them was named Drusilla. We heard about her last week. And the other sister was Bernice. So you say, well, this guy, this gal that he's married to, her name is Bernice too. Yeah, that's his sister. She was married at 13 to her uncle. Her uncle died, and then she entered into an incestuous relationship with her brother, Agrippa. So that's, that's the context here of whom Paul is sharing the gospel with. People for whom Christ died, people who need to hear the gospel. And so God has orchestrated this moment in time for them to clearly hear the gospel from Paul. In, in Luke 2, verse 10, very familiar verse if you've read the Christmas story. Angels came, and what did they say? They said, we bring you good news of great joy, which will be for who? It will be for all people. It will be for all people. And let me tell you one of the hazards. I'm speaking to some people here now in this first category, but probably not to others. But there are some people in here who have known Jesus Christ for a long time. In fact, some of you, when you were four years old, 
You grew up in a home, you were fortunate to hear about Christ, and you made a decision. And there's a hazard as you know Christ for a long time, and as you experience His power in your life. And you very subtly, very subtly began to see people and, and make judgments. It happens very subtly. We have, I, I can relate to that. We, uh, we're, we kind of have become known as the smoking church here probably. We have kids that come over from the school to smoke. They walk by my window every day. And uh, we, could sh- we could call the cops and shag them off of here. And we probably have a right to do that. Maybe some of you think we should do that. But I'm kind of thinking, yeah, that's the church that calls the cops and shags us off the property. And, you know, one day Brad and I were out here, and uh, one of the gals came up. She came up, and just out of the blue she said, my dad died last week. And she kind of started to blink her eyes like you could tell she hadn't processed this at all. And uh, Brad said, why don't you stop by this week and we can talk about it. Someone just popped in this week and uh, just popped in. That had been a young person and going, you know, I I think I need a church. And so, you know, I, I see those young people walk by and sometimes they have, you know, their pants are just about falling off and, and, and their hair is in their eyes and they're lighting up a cigarette. And I, I'll be honest with you, and I, I really work at not doing this, but sometimes, sometimes I go, man, what a loser. And you know what? When I say that or I think that, I wonder who the loser is. I, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if God looks down and says, man, you know, you're looking at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. See, I grew up in a, I grew up in a, in a time in my life when I, I always made the starting lineup. Whatever team I went out on, I always got to play. I don't know what it's like to not make the cut. I don't know what it's like to come home and not have my parents around, or have my parents screaming at each other, or you know, spend one weekend with one parent, another with the other. There's a lot of things that, that I don't know about. And I don't know what that's like. And so there is a hazard when you have known Christ a long time. He's saved you from a lot of things that you can just not understand. Some of you are here today and you know exactly what it's like for some of those kids who flunked their classes and so they got to take summer class and now they're here. You know exactly what that's like. You know what it's like not to make the team. You know what it's like not to have your parents home. You know what it's like to have your best friend be the next drink or the next fix. Some of you know all too well what that's like. And your life apart from Christ has left some pretty deep scars and some pretty big challenges. But I'll say this. You have a unique understanding. You have a unique understanding in some ways more into the heart of God and how God might look at all people because God is not partial. And all people, all people, God has this desire for them to come to faith in the goods, in the good news. God's gift is for everyone. Listen to how Paul said it. And I, I love the way he said it in 1 Timothy verse 15. <clears throat> You'll see it up on the wall there. I'd like to read first verse 15 and, and then verse 16. Paul says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, because I was the worst, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited, unlimited patience 
as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Someone was sharing with me this week about an individual at LifeFest and uh, a musician, never been there before. I had read about this person uh, before. And uh, here's a guy who had a $25 million contract on the table. All he had to do was sign it, and, and he walked away. And his name is Brian Welch. Some of you probably heard him, met him at LifeFest. And he is a great example of just this fact that the gospel is for everyone. And if you had known this gentleman, this musician, in his earlier years, you would have had thoughts going through your mind, I can promise you. Uh, you would have not viewed this someone, this as someone whom God was uh, in love with. And uh, I'm just going to show you about three minutes of his testimony this morning. And uh, then we'll conclude. But, you know, the gospel. The lesson we take this morning, the gospel's for everyone. And so just watch and uh, hear his words. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. And Father, we're reminded 
as we listen to this, these words from Brian, that the gospel is not just words, but the gospel is the good news that you are a God who loved us, and you are a God who gave your life for us, and uh, you are a God that desires to forgive and show mercy in our lives. Father, we were made for you. We were made to live in an unbroken relationship with you. And it's through Christ that we find our way home. Father, I pray for anyone who would be listening this morning, who has that need and desire, and I pray that you would just, by your Spirit, just cause them to invite you to come change their life, to transform them, to forgive them. And uh, Lord, we know that you can do that because you have promised. Father, help us to remember that we are all here because of the cross. That there is no one beyond your saving grace. And, uh, thank you for that truth today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
with His praises One day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin Dwelt among men, my example is He The Word became flesh and the light shined among us Calvary's mountain One day they nailed him To die on a tree Suffering anguish Despised and rejected Bearing our sins My redeemer is The hand that healed nations Was down on a tree And took the nails for me Thank you.